Hey, good morning. Thank you for joining us for a recent sermon from Harvest Baptist Church. I'm Mark Likens. I'm the lead pastor here at Harvest. We're a Bible-believing, gospel-centered, grace-driven church family right here in Natrona Heights, Pennsylvania. And if you'd like to learn more about our ministry, you can visit us on Facebook or at harvestbaptist.info. Now, I hope you enjoyed today's sermon. It's my prayer that this will encourage and equip you in your relationship with God. Hebrews 11 is where we are at. So let's read it together. Verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw that he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the sons of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. Well, let's begin our journey today with the faith of Moses' parents. Uh, what it says in verse 23 is that Moses' parents hid him because he was proper and they were not afraid. And it's talking about Amram and Jochebed. Those are their names. Uh, I find it interesting that Exodus 2, if you read the story, puts the primary emphasis actually on the mother here on Mother's Day. Uh, it will tell you, Hebrews 11 says the parents, plural, but Exodus 2 really emphasizes the mother's faith and the mother's actions. And <clears throat> this is uh, a classic story of a woman who was hopeless and helpless, was a slave, had very little going for her, but she was a woman who was full of faith and filled with faith and ended up raising a son who shook the world. And the long shadow of Moses is still cast over our society. We would still, as a maybe an ambulance drives by, see the, the staff with the serpent wrapped around it. And that would be a story of Moses, right? We would go into a courtroom and we would see Ten Commandments hanging on the wall of a courtroom. And we would be reminded of Moses. All these years later, there's still uh, wrinkles and ripple effects of his life on our society to this day. And it tells us that this man, Moses, was raised by parents of faith. And they had three components to their faith. And I find this to be entirely fascinating how these three components break down and should be kind of the core of our faith as well. You find first that there was this powerful conviction. So it tells you what they did. They hit him three months, but that was motivated, don't, don't miss this in the text, it was motivated by this, because they saw that he was a, what's the next word, class? Proper child. Let's try it again. They saw that he was a, that was better, a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. So what does that, what does that mean? The proper means elegant, uh, it means good looking, fair, comely, polished. And that really struck me as interesting, that this was their motivation. And what's even more intriguing to me is that if you look at the stories of Moses in Scripture, you find this comes up over and over again. So, for example, in Exodus 2, the story of Jochebed conceiving Moses, you find that she conceived, she bore a son, and when she saw him, that he was a goodly child. Kind of the same root or same idea of being a proper child. 
Acts 7, when Stephen tells the story of Moses right before he is martyred, Stephen will say that when Moses was born, he was exceeding fair. Now, all three of those are telling you the same thing, that there was some sort of superior quality to this child when he was born, that baby Moses was attractive, that there was just something about him, that when the parents looked at him, although they didn't have a message from an angel or a word from the Lord, but when he was born and they looked at him, they saw something in him, and he was just, he wasn't an ordinary baby. There was just something about them that led them to believe that God had a plan or there was something special in this child's life. And they had a conviction that they wouldn't kill him, that they wouldn't follow Pharaoh's decree, that they would keep him alive and that God had a plan for him. And there was something about Moses and his birth and the way that he looked and the way that this happened that his parents developed this conviction that this baby needs to stay alive and we'll even risk our life. We will now begin to not just have a conviction, we'll begin to have courage that is going to allow us to defy the king's command. Because the king's command was, if you remember, he was scared of the Israelites becoming a great nation. And instead of coexisting with them, he began to put them in servitude and use their, their labor. And he told the midwives in Israel that, I want you to murder the children if they're, if they're male, but if they're female, then you can keep them alive. So he said, okay, make a decree. Throw all the babies in the river if they're male. And assumably, lots of people did. But Moses' parents said, there's something special about this kid. We won't do it. Now, this is at risk to their own life, obviously. This, this is the stuff of martyrs, that they would step up and that they would say, we are not going to do this, but they will not do it and they will not kill him. And it says that they were not afraid of the king's commandment. Now, what does that mean? Because they hid him, right? They hid him for three months. You may be thinking, if, if you're not afraid, why did you hide him? It doesn't mean that there was no negative emotion that was you know, associated with fear, that that never came on them. But what it does mean is that their faith overcame that fear and it propelled them to defy the king's command and to live with a confidence and a resilience in their life. And they had more faith than fear. They lived by faith. One pastor put it this way. He said that when fear came knocking at Jochebed's door, faith answered. And then all of a sudden, fear was nowhere to be found. But it, it came, but there was faith that overcame. And it says this, that after this personal courage, they have this conviction that there's something special about this kid. There's this courage to defy the fear. And it says the practical outworking of this, the practical conclusion is that they hid him three months. And I love this. I can't tell you how much I love this. They have faith and a conviction this it produces courage in them, but all of a sudden now there's practicality. And they didn't, here's what they did not do. They did not say, we have faith that God has a plan for our son, and we have faith that he wants to keep him alive and use him one day, so we're going to stroll him right up to old Pharaoh and say, na 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 boo boo we have a kid. They did not create a baby parade and say, let's put the babies on floats and just put them down Main Street in Egypt. 
They practically had this conclusion that while they had faith, they were going to hide their child for three months. And then if you know the story, it goes on to say that, that they put them in a, in a little basket and they uh, kind of put them in the bulrushes and then they try to get Pharaoh's daughter to take him. There's a lot of practical outworkings of their faith. And they did not, they were not, their faith was not fatalism. Their faith wasn't, well, whatever will be, will be. God has a plan. Uh, we'll just put the child in God's hands, and if God wants him to live, then he'll live, and if God doesn't want him to live, then he won't live, because after all, God's sovereign, so we're just going to go about our lives like everything's normal, and we'll just put it all in God's hands. No, they had faith, but their faith had some wisdom and some practicality and some common sense to it, that they knew there was a decree to kill all the boys, so they hid him, and hiding Moses wasn't an absence of faith, it was actually an act of faith on their part. And you need to know this because there are people, and it peeves me to no end, that there are people who will take spirituality and faith and they will pit it against practicality in our lives and they will act like the two don't belong in the same arena and they do. There are people who will say, well, if you have faith, then just trust God to heal you. The end. Don't go to the doctor. There are people who will say, well, if you have you know, faith, God, God can provide for the lilies, can he? Sure he can. God can provide for the birds, can he? Can he provide for you? Just have faith that God will provide for you and just pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Go to work, okay? Pray, give us this day our daily bread. Put your trust in the Lord, but practically work it out. Go to work. If you're sick, go to God for healing. Put your faith in God. Make sure that your trust is in him first and foremost, but go to the doctor, don't act like there's not common sense or practicality that these two don't intermingle and mesh with each other. So, to put it very bluntly, if you want to wear a t-shirt that says faith over fear, two thumbs up. I am all for you. I am for the idea of faith over fear. Yes or no? Did Moses' parents have faith? Yes. Did they, according to this verse, have faith over fear? Yes, they did. But did that manifest itself in a way that ceased to be practical or wise or common sense? No. Have faith over fear, sure. Trust your children into the hands of God. But when they're 16 and they get their permit, maybe consider telling them to wear their seatbelt and don't just say, well, faith over fear. You know, God will protect them if he wants to. If he wants to keep them from going through the windshield, then, then, he'll, then he'll, he'll do it. Have faith over fear, but consider locking your door at night, Right? I wouldn't recommend that you go to sleep and you say, you know, faith over fear. If God wants me to be robbed or, or you know, murdered, then, you know, it's in his hands. I'll just trust him. He's sovereign after all. So I'm not going to lock my door. I'm just going to put that into the hands of God. What? No, maybe lock your door. That's practical. Maybe if you, if you want a, a, a firearm to protect yourself or to defend yourself, maybe get one of those too. Those are practical outworkings. Those are not in contrast to faith. And many times people will do this. They will absolutely put faith and practical wisdom against each other, and they're not supposed to be that way. Get, you get the process? You get it? Powerful conviction, personal courage, practical conclusions. So, in case it wasn't clear enough, take that process. Convictions, courage, practical conclusions, okay? I have a conviction, as I think every single Christian should have a conviction, that you should share the good news of Jesus with other people. That if you know Jesus as your Savior, you should, uh, with your life and with your lips, both 
you should share Jesus with people and you should be an evangelist of sorts. You should be a missionary. You should uh, witness to people. That, you should do that. And I would hope that you would have that conviction yourself. Now, that's going to need courage. You're at times going to need to speak up or to witness to someone, and you may not know how they'll react or if they'll ostracize you. And by the way, most of the time, if you're sensible about it, they won't react in a negative way. But you'll need to potentially have someone be against you or perhaps you'll put a lid on how far you can move up the company ladder because your boss doesn't like, you know, that that you talk about your faith or those sorts of things. So it's going to require some courage to share your faith. But that courage should then marry itself to very practical conclusions. So let's say that you have a coworker that you really, God's put on your heart and you want to share the good news of Jesus with your coworker. We'll call your coworker Bob. There's a lot of ways to share your faith with Bob. Some that are, that are practical and wise and some that are impractical and unwise. If you decide to go to work tomorrow with a poster board that you make with a, with a Sharpie that says, Bob, turn or burn, and you walk around work with it, not a good idea. Not a good idea. That, that's wildly impractical and probably not helpful. Well, sure, you had a conviction you want to share your faith. Sure, you had courage in that moment. I'm sure that you did. But it was practically dumb. A better way would just be to say, Bob, man, for whatever reason you've been on my heart, I'd love to sit down and share my faith with you. You want to get lunch sometime? That's a far better way to do it, right? And Moses' parents understood that while we have faith, and while we have faith over fear, and while we have courage, we are going to manifest it in a practical way, and this means we're going to have to hide this baby for three months. This means we're going to need to put him in a, a little basket, and to put him in the bulrushes, and, and to see Pharaoh's daughter come and adopt him. We're going to have to work at this, and we're going to have to have a practical outworking. My last illustration, I'm moving on. Parents, okay, it's Mother's Day. Parents, dedicate your children to the Lord, trust your children to the Lord, Put your children, quote, unquote, in God's hands. That's a good thing. If you're a Christian parent, that is a good thing. But you're going to need some practical wisdom. Don't, and I've met parents that operate this way, and it 99% of the time does not work out well. Don't cease to, to parent in a practical way. Don't tell me, well, I put my kids in God's hands, you know, whatever will be, will be. I don't, I don't know who the neighbors are and who they're talking to. And, and, you know, God can bring the right friends into their life. He, he knows who they need and who they don't need. So if they're friends with so-and-so, then I know that God's bringing someone into their life that they, they must need. That may be true, or it may be true that you need to be a parent and you need to say, that kid's a bad influence and you're not hanging out anymore. Don't just put it on God. Don't hide, don't hide behind God. Don't say, well, my child is in God's hands, so you know what? I mean, I, I care who their coach is, and I care who their teachers are, and I, I care if they're teaching them humanism, or if they're teaching them liberalism, or if they're teaching them, you know, things that are contrary to, to the scriptures. I care about that, but ultimately, I mean, God's sovereign. He, he knows what teacher they need. It, it's, it's, not up, it's not up to me. It's not, a, it's not in my control, so I'm, I'm just going to leave it to the Lord. I'm going to trust them to the Lord. No, you're the parent. Act practically. Act wisely. Put your kids in the right situations. When you are trying to parent, you're going to need to, to have wisdom don't put a, a phone with unfettered internet access in the hands of your 12 year old and just say god's sovereign he'll protect him if he wants to you need practical wisdom you get it have faith yes 
I am not belittling faith. I'm not belittling you putting your child in God's hands. But I am saying, do not hide behind that faith and exhibit foolish behavior that is unwise and use faith as a guise to get away with that. Don't do that. Faith comes out in practical ways, and it did for his parents. Verse number 24, you see the faith of Moses personally. So I'm going to sum up verses 24 through 27. Moses foresaw a bit, and he forsook a bit. These two things, and they interact with each other in amazing ways. So look at verse number 26. He foresaw, okay, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. So here's what it says. Moses esteemed, this, that's a word that means he thought it through, he put his brain in gear, he did some spiritual figuring, and he weighed out the reproach of Christ that was greater riches versus the treasures of Egypt. These two riches and treasures. And he weighed it out and said, which one is the best investment? Which one should I esteem? Which one should I give weight to? And I am going to lean into what is difficult, the reproach of Christ. I'm going to lean into forsaking, being called Pharaoh's grandson. I'm going to lean into that. Why? Because I believe that this is greater. I'm, I'm looking and I'm evaluating. I'm seeing that this will be greater for my life. Moses is a man who had spiritual vision. He pulls out his spiritual binoculars, as it were, and he begins to look and say, what will life be like if I pursue this route? What will life be like if I pursue this route? And while pursuing the people of God and the plan of God was not the easier route, it was the better route. And he was able to, with spiritual binoculars, see that and say, because of that, I will pursue that. I will forsake the treasures in Egypt. I find it interesting that it puts a lot of emphasis on this treasures and riches and those sorts of things that Moses forsook because certainly there was a lot of treasure in Egypt. If you watched any sort of documentary on the tombs of pharaohs and going in the great pyramids and stuff, you realize that there was, there was so much treasure there. And there was so much at his fingertips. And if there was ever a man who had a boatload of good excuses to quit on God or run from God, Moses would have been that man. Moses had every excuse that you could have wanted. He had position and prestige and, and riches and fame and, and sin and vices and all these things at his fingertips. But he saw what would be greater. It says that he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. He saw the long-term investment. You know, you may not be Moses, and the set of treasure that Egypt will throw at you will be different than perhaps his was. But I can assure each and every one of you this. If you want a quote-unquote good excuse to quit on God, to quit on God's people, to run away from God, and to pursue the way of the world, they are in abundance. You will not struggle in our American society to find good excuses to run away from God, to pursue a different plan. If you, if you want to go down the pride of life, climb the ladder, get, the, get the, the accolades, get people looking at me, you can have that in abundance. If you want to go down the money and the stuff route, you can have that in abundance. If you want to go down the, the vice and the sin and the pleasure for a season, you can have that in abundance and, and live the party life. All of those things are options for you. But Moses understood it was fool's gold. 
Sure, Egypt had a treasure chest full of gold, but it was fool's gold when it was all said and done. It was QVC and paid programming and ad seen on TV all rolled up into one, and he understood it, and he understood it was not a wise investment. Moses is a man that knew all of the allure and luster that Egypt had, all the treasures, all the fame, all the stuff. He knew it was fool's gold. He knew it wasn't worth the investment. He knew the way of God would be more difficult, but he knew that there was joy and peace and a plan and even glory of sorts that that came from living a life that was pleasing to God. Moses knew this. He foresaw. He foresaw what the reward would be. It tells us in verse number 27 that he forsook Egypt, and here's what he saw here. Not fearing the wrath of the king, but he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And here's the picture. You had the king of Egypt on one hand, and you had the king of kings on the other hand. And when he put his eyes on the king of kings, the king of Egypt, and all of his wrath paled in comparison. Because he saw the one who couldn't be seen. He saw the one who was invisible. He was fixed on God by faith. And that allowed him, because he foresaw it, allowed him to forsake. And Moses forsook. If ever the world put on a fair disguise for somebody, it was Moses. And here's what he forsook. We've already covered most of it, so I'll hustle through it. He forsook social position. Verse 24 tells us he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, people speculate what could have been for Moses, that maybe he would have been Pharaoh. I don't know, as an adopted you know, grandson, if that would have been the case. But it's very likely that he could have had a Joseph role. If you remember Joseph, he was prime minister. He was second command. And it's very possible that Moses could have told himself the story of maybe I am the next Joseph. Maybe I am meant to, to follow the Egyptian uh, schooling system and learn their language and learn their ways and <clears throat> rise up to the top. And God will use me as a source of influence and power that here I have this position and I have this influence and look at how I can leverage it for the glory of God. But Moses was smart enough to know, not an option. 400 years prior, it was an option for Joseph. But Moses knew, I got to cast my lot with one or the other. I got to go all in with God or I got to go all in with Egypt. I got to choose one or the other. I got to identify myself. I cannot straddle this fence. And he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He, he forsook a ton of position, a ton of prestige. He forsook the sinful pleasure. We mentioned that earlier, verse number 25. He chose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather to, than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Not only could he have enjoyed all of the sin, but he could have done it with the approval of his peers. It would have been socially acceptable for him to do whatever he wanted and enjoy the pleasures of sin, but he knew it was for a season. He knew that it wouldn't last. You find that he forsook the treasures of Egypt in verse number 26. We mentioned that earlier, all this prosperity, all of it, prestige, pleasure, prosperity, I don't need it. I would rather be with the people of God. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm sure of this. You have to foresee and forsake at the same time. You have to put 
your mind in the heavenlies. You have to put your eyes on Jesus. You have to put your heart on the gospel. You have to remind yourself of who Jesus is and what he's done and, and how he's delivered. You have to come to church and you have to sing the songs and think about the words and, and go back to those times where, where God has worked in your life. You have to reminisce. You have to look at the cross. We're going to take communion in just a couple minutes. Part of that exercise is for us not just to do something that Jesus told us to do just because it's on our to-do list but to actually think about and reminisce and, and think about that he gave his body for me and his blood for me. And there is power in that. There is something that, there's a catalyst in that that you have to foresee. You have to put your eyes on God. You have to see who, him who is invisible in order to forsake. Those two have to go together. And Moses understood this. I dare say Jesus understood this. Do me a favor and turn over one page to Hebrews chapter number 12. The same pattern that Moses had, Jesus had. Look at it in we'll read two verses. Hebrews 12. We look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. What is it saying? It is saying that he was able to endure the cross. He was able to set aside his will. He was able to go through that, which had to have been the most difficult thing any human's ever done. How? Because he had his eyes on the joy that would be, the joy that would come from our salvation, the joy that would be when he was seated at the right hand of the throne of God, when he accomplished the mission. He was forward-looking, forward-thinking, spiritual binoculars out, and that allowed him to go to the cross. Moses had that pattern. Jesus had that pattern. And what is it telling us in, in verse number two? That we look unto Jesus. Verse number three, in case that wasn't clear enough. Consider him, who? Jesus, that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. What's it saying? If you don't meditate on that, if you don't marinate your heart and your mind in that, if you don't live in the gospel, if you don't put your mind in the heavenlies, if you don't think about Jesus, then you will be weary, you will faint, you won't have the power to be able to do this. That's what it's saying. It's saying, foresee and forsake. Do both. Take the time. My, my goal, if you ask me, what's your goal for the sermon? A few, but my main goal for the sermon is that you, would, that you would move through this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, that you would move through this week and that you would think about Jesus a little more. That you would maybe read the Gospels a, a bit more than you would have without the sermon. That you would turn on that music and you would let those words sink into your heart that's good, Christ-honoring music. That you would put your mind and your heart there because that is going to give you a power and a fuel to be able to live a sanctified, holy life that God wants for you. And if you're struggling hard against your sin, or perhaps you're not struggling hard, perhaps you've laid over and you rolled over and died, and you've convinced yourself that you can't do it, you've given it up too many times. It's just habitual, it's just the way you are, you can't do it. It's a lie. It's a lie. You can, but you're not going to do it in your own willpower. You have to put your mind on the Lord. You have to see that. You have to see there's something better. And then you'll be able to give it up. Hey, this is Pastor Mark again. And I wanted to take a moment and just say thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope that the message both challenged and encouraged you from the Word of God. Maybe you're listening for the first time. 
I want you to know that we believe the most important decision you'll ever make is the decision to know Jesus in a personal, intimate way. To find out more about that, you can visit harvestbaptist.info forward slash gospel. If you live in one of the four counties that are church borders, Allegheny, Westmoreland, Armstrong, Butler, and you don't have a church home, then we would invite you to come and to worship with us and join in the gospel work that God is doing here at Harvest Baptist Church. Maybe you're a regular listener and God's laying it on your heart to support the ministry and the outreach of Harvest. Your gift would help us reach more people more effectively with the gospel message. If you'd like to partner with us for ministry in Western Pennsylvania and around the world, you can visit harvestbaptist.info forward slash give. Again, thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.